Before we start this episode, I have an announcement, really an invitation to you out there. Because campuses and schools are closed and we can't see each other in this unusual time during the pandemic, we're trying to use this podcast as a way to hear each other, as a way of staying connected. If you're out there as an educator, a student, a parent, or a school leader, whether at a school or a college, please take a moment to share a voice message with us of your experience. We're looking for a short scene from your COVID-19 situation. Especially think of a moment of teaching and learning or just living as an educator at this time that posed a surprising challenge or a moment of grace or discovery. Just do this in like a minute or two. Keep it short. Record on the Voice Memo app on your, on your iPhone or on your Android phone, or just write it in an email, honestly, and send it to jeff at edsurge.com. That's me. It's jeff at edsurge.com. So we're looking for personal stories here. So please, no pitches for marketers or CEOs about your new company or, or a product you're doing for free or discounted. Um, those are great. We appreciate that work, but this is not the forum for that. And we're going to put highlights of these voice memos into an episode. We're already getting some, and they're really fascinating. Again, this will work best if all kinds of listeners share. We look forward to hearing from you. And as always, thanks for listening. This episode of the EdSurge podcast is brought to you by the Elementary Education Program at Emporia State University. The online master's in elementary education program at Emporia State is designed for career changers interested in becoming elementary teachers. Learn more at emporia.edu slash grad. That's emporia.edu slash grad. A few weeks ago, when coronavirus was just this faraway thing that hadn't even come to the U.S. yet, I was out with some friends at a local brew pub playing the card game Exploding Kittens. Because coronavirus was in the news, we asked a friend who's an ER doctor who was there what he thought about this latest virus scare. And what he said surprised me. He looked at me and said that coronavirus was going to be the defining event of our lifetimes, even if none of us get it. This threw me for a loop. This is not someone who exaggerates, and he didn't seem that scared that any of us would personally get sick. This was a different kind of thing. I went about my business and continued planning all the travel I was looking forward to. For the spring, I was going to go to South by Southwest EDU, to some other big meeting in D.C., and, and to my college reunion in May. Today is April 2nd, and all of those events have been canceled. COVID-19 is starting to really feel like the defining event of our lifetimes. And that's still sinking in for me. I don't think I fully even grasp it even now. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the EdSurge Podcast. I'm Jeff Young. Since we cover education here, we have been reporting on the impact of this pandemic on education. And today we're looking at what K-12 schools could look like after social distancing's over and, and people reassess what they want from our school systems. To do that, I talked with Simon Rodberg, who was formerly a principal of a charter school he helped start and now is the author of a forthcoming book from ACSD called What If I'm Wrong? and Other Key Questions for Decisive School Leadership. You actually heard a short bit from Simon last week in a bonus episode when he described a moment from a college course he's teaching. He's an adjunct at Catholic University. But the rest of our conversation focused on rethinking schools, and that's what we're doing today. We started by talking about how he and his wife are adjusting to essentially homeschooling their 10-year-old son. He's in fourth grade at a public school in D.C. This is an experience that I, I can relate to for sure, as my wife and I are suddenly, we're in St. Paul, but we're, we have two young sons, and we're suddenly taking care of them at home and trying to get some school and education going. And we're juggling work and trying to keep them learning. I've known Simon for years, actually, and, and I know we have very different styles of parenting. 
and I'm sure what his son is getting is different than what my kids are getting right now. And that's one of the themes of our conversation. And I realized as I put this together, this actually interview was done almost two weeks ago, which of course in these times is like ages ago. I started by asking how his son is enjoying learning at home instead of school. He is loving homeschool. Um, We have a schedule each day since he was three in preschool. He's cared a lot about what the daily schedule was and found a lot of comfort in the daily schedule and knowing what the schedule would be. Is it is it on a um, whiteboard? I'm getting like what what how do we picture it? Is it in your kitchen? Is it where is the schedule? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I have a shared Google Doc, and the way we've been doing it is that I put the, make the schedule in the Google Doc, and then she, who has much better handwriting than I do, has been writing it out on a piece of construction paper. Although this morning, which was day four, um, she reused the back of yesterday's construction paper uh, so that we could save paper, and also because who knows if we're going to run out of paper supplies uh, before this is all over. Um, and we post and we post it in the kitchen, um, and we all sort of walk by and check it and try to figure it out. Um, and it's in basically half hour increments that sort of alternate different school subjects with a bike ride um, and trying to get some fresh air and exercise uh, while maintaining social distancing. Um, and you know we've moved sort of his screen time of choice to the middle of the day, although there's obviously a lot of other time in front of a screen that's more learning oriented. Um, and there's snack time and there's lunch time. Um, there's drum practice. And so uh, he's got sort of his subjects throughout the day. um, And I think that knowing what's coming has been very helpful for him. Interesting. And so you mentioned that he likes it. He is, yeah, what what is his kind of reaction to this, um, you know, the, the actual schooling you're doing now at home instead of being in a school building? I think this is a comment on him rather than credit to, Allison or my wife or my parenting, um, he kind of couldn't be happier. Um, He gets more of our attention. He gets to go at his own pace. Um, He's doing a lot of things that he likes. Uh, He doesn't have, he's not faced with sort of any kind of disruption um, or competition with other kids. Um, And so he feels like he's learning. We do sort of reflections and check-ins and he, there's nothing particular that he wants to be different. Um, He thinks homeschool life is really great. And I mean, this is the part where we may not know yet, but it seems to me by looking at Twitter and talking to people, our kids, because my, uh, my two sons are doing getting a very similar experience. This sounds very familiar. And a lot of, it sounds like a lot of parents right now are doing this for their kids. You know, here we are and just after a few days or only a week or so, give or take um, where you are in the country of having this kind of forced homeschooling um, but it seems like there are a lot of people going through something similar to the way you're, you and I are like struggling to, to make this change. Um, is that the impression you're getting? Yeah, I think that, you know, the people who are most active on social media about this are almost by definition the people who are the most capable of doing it, who have a lot to say, who are verbal, who like to write things down, um, who are hooked into social networks of people who are doing this kind of thing. And I worry, like many people, for kids of English language learners or kids who are English language learners whose parents don't speak English at all, um, for kids with special needs, uh, for kids whose parents don't have a lot of internet access, um, and and what this means for them. Um, And I think that online learning has a lot going for it, but online learning in a rush like this is going to exacerbate 
inequalities between those whose lives were set up for it, who had the technology at home, who knew sort of where to look for different learning resources, and those kids whose families really rely on the institution of school to provide them with learning resources. One of the things that I wrestle with, honestly, as I think through this is, because we're just, it's too soon in some ways, but it seems clear, and there are plenty of think pieces already on the internet about like, what will this mean for the future of school? with this forced nationwide and worldwide experiment. And it it does seem like there's, you know, maybe we'll change our answer over and over as we go through this, depending on how long it lasts. But what are you, what are you kind of thinking as we, in this early stage of this situation? So the thing I'm thinking about without school happening is what is my son missing while he's not at school? And I think that's another way of asking the question of what is the purpose of school? Like, why do we send him to school every day? And then if we're not sending him to school every day, what's not happening? I mean, he's getting math right now. Um, He's getting it through Khan Academy, through some online work, and through a a once-a-week meeting with a tutor. He's getting reading. In fact, I think he's probably reading more than he was reading at school. Um, He and his grandma have a standing uh, FaceTime date to talk about writing, um, and he's sending her some writing that he's doing. So the academic things are sort of happening even more so, um, I think, than when he was at school. He's certainly missing socialization, and I think that's a big purpose of school, is to sort of learn to get along with people and work with people who are not part of your family. Um, And... I think we'll need to do that. Social distancing will one day end and we will once again have to live in a society and interact with people who are not our family. Um, But the big thing that is missing really is not for him, it's for us. Um, We are missing somebody else taking care of our child. Um, And we're missing uh, the fact that we can go about our lives for you know, six to nine hours a day, usually without having to take care of him. Uh, I think the custodial aspect of school um, is one of the purposes that schools serve best, um, which is that they um, they take children and keep them safe and keep them secure and feed them. And whether a school is sort of quote good or quote bad, whether the test scores are high or the test scores are low, pretty much every school in the country, parents can give their child to and be sort of secure that at the end of the day, they will get their child back. And I think probably every parent in America, that's what they're missing. It's not the learning that their kid is supposedly getting. It's being able to hand their child over, go about their lives and then get their child again at the end of the day without having to take care of them in between. It doesn't sound like you're predicting a big uptick in homeschooling after all this. I think parents are going to want to have a place to send their kids again and to have somebody else take care of them in sort of a mass way that we don't have to have the kind of one-to-one parent-to-child ratio all day every day that we do and go back to the one teacher to 25 kid sort of basic ratio. But what happens there, how lockstep it is, um, how static it is, I think that will be really questioned. And I honestly think it will have to be. You know, my son is very fortunate that he is two college-educated parents with good internet access at home um, who are, you know, giving him a lot of attention and a lot of resources. There are kids in his class whose families don't have those resources to give to him, and they're going to come back to school in very different places. I don't want him to have to relearn the math that he was supposed to be learning in March and April. He will have learned that math and some more, but there will be kids who haven't learned that math 
that's actually always been true, even when you have kids in the same class all the time, they're learning different things at different rates. But the need for personalizing the learning experience is going to be so much greater after this, because kids across America are getting such different experiences during these months of homeschool. You know, I almost picture it like the day school is closed was like this weird starting line. And you have some people just continuing or even accelerating their run through academics or other things. And then some people who are probably stalled out because of whatever their home environment is. Right. And so then they're all going to come back together at some point in a school building and yet be at very different points on the run. Right. I mean, your, your listeners, you know, I've heard of the factory model of schooling and that was never accurate. Right. We never actually had kids all learning the same thing at the same pace. But the factory is closed down and we're going back to the sort of medieval home workshops right now. It is crazy to think that we should just go back to the same assembly line um, after however many months this ends up being. And what I mean, the other thing that we end up facing is, you know, we it feels like we go back to the factory because it feels like it's the most economical or like, you know, sustainable way to mass school. Is there some other way magically that we, we could try once things get back to, to normal? I think we go back to the factory model partly because we know it, but also because, as you said, it's economical. I mean, if the custodial purpose of school is what we really miss, we will get it back by going back to the factory model. My hope is that we will have learned from this experience that other things are possible. I think a lot of them are not being done that well right now. Um, you know, my child and every other child that I've heard of in America is watching Mo Willems uh, do the um, pigeon drawings at 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Um, and I don't necessarily think that art class should be that way for every kid across America. But there are pieces of online learning that I think make personalization and make individual pathways much more possible. I also think that questioning what the topics are that we learn in school um, should should be one of the things that come out of this. That is, if I'm deciding right now, you know what, I actually don't think chemistry, no, I don't think some particular subject is that important for my child to be learning. And parents across America are deciding, I don't think that particular subject is that important for my child to be learning. Maybe that subject actually isn't that important for every child in America to, to be learning. Um, and I think that questioning some of the decisions that have sort of been handed down through the generations to us and some of the paths that we've been on, now that we are off those paths, we can start to rethink whether we want to get back on them. What would your advice be to a school leader? You're a former principal. You've thought a lot about this. Um, what is your advice for dealing with this current moment we're in? I think putting some of your energy towards teaching kids right now and what I mean in particular by that is making sure that they have work that they can access that's useful, important work for them to do, and that they are getting individualized contact from adults, that there are people checking in with them who are continuing or building a relationship with them so that they know that they're cared about and to the greatest extent possible that they get some feedback on their work. But I would also be putting a lot of energy towards planning for various scenarios of when school restarts and how you're going to deal with 
the missed learning, with the differences in what kids will have learned, with the different levels that kids will be at, and having you know a team of teachers who are planning for what if school starts again in mid-April, what if school starts again in mid-May, what if we don't see kids again until September, and thinking about those long-term things, and how can you, in advance, plan for a very different future than the one you might have expected before coronavirus hit. So in other words, don't just expect things to go back to normal. There's no more normal. I think there's no more normal, but also don't expect that you can do that long-term planning while you're simultaneously running whatever online program you're doing right now. You need to be doing the long-term planning for a very different future, and you need to be helping kids as much as possible right now. What so what back to your own experience all of a sudden you've got your you know your son at home is that what has been an anecdote that kind of showed you how things are different like that or maybe surprised you almost the way you described with your college students where you thought things were going great and ends up this some you know some other reaction or even just a scene where you're like oh here's something I would never have seen but this but for this situation Well, the thing that has been most amazing is we're having a daily recess of bike rides, and we have been able to bike down to the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and climb all over statues in front of the U.S. Capitol that I'm sure the police would be shooing us off if they were around. We've been able to get to the cherry blossoms because nobody is there, um, and we could not normally go visit the cherry blossoms because it's just completely full of tourists in a normal year, and there are no tourists right now. That's been what's most surprising. Um, I think think that the uh, academically, just seeing how much he can read um, and having him actually listen to me when I give him book advice because I'm taking on the role of teacher as opposed to father. Usually he does not take my reading recommendations at all. That's been really great. At the same time, there was uh, one moment when he got very frustrated with his math and he treated me like his father rather than the way I think he usually treats his teachers. That is, he's usually not going to yell at his teachers and storm out of the room. And uh, he did that with me. And I thought, boy, this is a moment when I really wish that homeschooling were not happening. I was I was going to say, yeah, it can't all be it can't all be rosy and cherry no, blossoms. No, it, I, I feel very lucky and I definitely am looking forward to school being back in session. Oh, I know we all are. Well, thanks so much for sharing this and talking to me today, Simon. It's been a pleasure. This has been the EdSearch Podcast. We're now putting out a couple episodes a week instead of just one. And we're trying to tell stories like this one. Again, we'd love to hear from you. So describe a moment from your COVID-19 educational experience in a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to me at jeff at edsurge.com. That's jeff at edsurge.com. This episode was quickly edited and produced by me, Jeff Young, and special thanks to Allison McAdam, who recorded Simon's end of the conversation on this episode. We'll be back on Tuesday with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.